0: Oh, Father, that is our heart's desire, our prayer today, is that you would plant your word deep in our hearts, and uh, Lord, that it might bring forth fruit. Father, we are surrounded by so many things, we're surrounded by, as we see it, the effect of sin and the unrighteousness of men all around us. We look and we see the cultural rot in our own society. And yet, Lord, out of that, you have called us. You have given us new life in Jesus Christ through the gospel. You have given us the power through your word and by your Holy Spirit to grow in sanctification that holiness that you so desire for us. And I pray that as we get back into the book of Titus and this letter from the Apostle Paul to a beloved young pastor in his churches, I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord reveal to our hearts, inscribe it um, inside of us and let it flow from there to a life that is increasingly more like Jesus Christ. And I pray this would be the reality from the youngest to the oldest. So now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray for wisdom and for insight. Help me to say the things that need to be said from your word and the application of those at this important time of the year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at the letters of the Apostle Paul to the churches, and particularly as we have started doing in 1 Timothy and now in Titus, we will hopefully do this in the second letter to young Timothy. One of the things that you're going to find is that these letters, and it's not just here, but these letters in particular are peppered With Paul's deep love for individuals and for the church, almost to the point of concern and almost to the point of anxiety. Look at what he writes in an earlier epistle. He says, And apart from these things, now, if you don't have a context for this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul has just numbered and delineated all of the sufferings that he's gone through as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he adds something at the end, and he says, apart from these things, in addition to these things, but boy, this is something different, he says, there is the daily pressure. And anybody who is in leadership in the church feels this. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety. He actually uses the word that later on we will be told be anxious for nothing. Same word. And so Paul had this deep concern, this anxiety, and look at this, for all of the churches. And I, I know that he meant for the churches then, but I have this sense that he also looked forward in time. And so the apostle's heart was also looking at us at Heritage Baptist Church and certainly to young Titus and to the churches that he served there on Crete, and he shows this concern. Paul's desire is my desire. I I think about this a lot. This is not just for me, and I seek this for myself, but I I pray for you, and I pray that you would grow. I have a concern. Sometimes as I look around, as I hear and And I see things that are going on in the lives of the people in our church. I I would call it almost an anxiety that you be conformed to the image of Christ, not only so that you'll have eternal life, but I know because the Bible says it that that is absolutely the best life that you can live. It's a life filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in another place, to another church that he loves so much, the church at Ephesus. Now, this coincides with what he'll be saying. We're going to read this in just a moment. But he says, speaking the truth in love. And Jonathan, thank you for just singing songs. It reminded me. I knew what I was preaching. You only have an outline. But if you got a sense of that, plant your word, plant your Your truth deep in our hearts, and so this is for all of this is for all of us that we are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way, every way imaginable. Your thoughts, your actions, in everything, in every way, into the image of Him. Look at this: who is the head? Into Christ, the head of what? come on, the head of what? The head of the church. And so he doesn't just want us to be individually pure, growing in sanctification. He wants our church, this local church called Heritage Baptist Church, he wants us to be a pure bride. And so this was true for the church at Ephesus. It was true for the churches on the island of Crete that Titus served And so here he is in chapter 2, and it's just one verse that I'm going to cover today, and it's for a very specific reason, again, because of the season of the year that it is. But listen to the Word of God. He says, but as for you, Titus, obviously I'm going to apply that more broadly. But as for you, Titus, teach we'll get into this, and I put it down, the word is speak. Speak. What accords with sound doctrine. I don't know about you, but I've been asked several times over the past several weeks, particularly with the conflict over in Israel, with Gaza. People have asked me, what do you think And I've been struck by, with Christians, the sense of fear. Fear. And what they connect that fear with is the coming of the Lord. And so one of the things I've done is smile real big at them and say, Christian, please don't fear. Because if this is, I don't know. there there are things within me churning that make me sense that maybe, maybe this could be the time of the coming of the Lord. I hope it is. If it's not, that's fine. We've still got work to do. But one thing that I do know, Jesus said this a long, long time ago, and it still applies today. Now, when these things begin to take place, and I know we've got different views of the end time, represented here today. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, Christian. Raise your heads because your redemption draws near. And as a part of that, Paul tells young Titus, Titus, I want you to remember something. And he starts with the word but. You know what he's doing there? Whenever, whenever you see a word like that, the adversative. he didn't say and. He said but. What he was doing is looking back and he was contrasting how Titus was to live in light of, and I, I used this term in my, in my prayer a minute ago. I'm just going to say it again. In light of the moral rot in his culture that had seeped into the church, he said, but you, as for you. So he goes back and he contrasts how Titus is to be living and what he's to be doing and what he's to be speaking, and he contrasts that with chapter 1 and the people in chapter 1. And you, you have that probably open, but, but I, I won't read it all. I've jotted down a few things. He described those people, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, their minds and their consciences defiled and impure. They had turned away from and had contradicted the truth of the gospel. How? Now watch this, because this plays heavily into what we're going to be talking about today. By teaching, very specifically he says, by teaching Jewish myths... And the commandments or traditions of people, man's traditions. And he even gets so specific as to mention circumcision. Now, Paul is writing almost at the end of his ministry. And here he is again. Same song third verse. This is no small thing because these men that that Titus is supposed to be contrasted with were perverting the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And I said it was nothing new. It wasn't. I don't have this on on the slides, but I just want you to think with me. Remember back, you might even jot down Acts chapter 15 and verse 1 right after the first missionary journey. So this is brand new. The churches are just established. Paul goes back. He's summoned to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem, and they have this big council together. In later years, that would be called a diet. I'll get to that in a minute, and why that's important. But he has this debate with, guess what? The same group Of people, these Judaizers who were teaching, it's Jesus plus something else. I'm just amazed. Here they were at the very beginning. Now there they were at the very end of his ministry. You know what? Have you, probably none of you have done this. I have. Have you ever left a church because you were crossways with someone? And usually you won't say that. It'll be for more spiritual sounding reasons. Or you're in another situation. Let's say it's not leaving a church, it's leaving a job or leaving a marriage or whatever. The, the case might be might be, but I'm using it for the church. It's amazing to me, and I've heard people say this, you know what? I left this church because there was this person over there, and they were doing this, and we were crossways, and I joined this other church, and guess what? They were there. <laughs> Not those literal people, but the same. Kind of people. So wherever Paul went, he had these people, the Judaizers, who added to the gospel instead of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, by saying in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1 unless you are circumcised, look at this beginning of ministry and end of ministry, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But Titus, people of heritage, dads, moms, leaders in the church, teachers, you are different, Titus. So are the elders that you're going to be appointing in every church. And you don't need to despair because of these people who seem to follow you around because you believe that God is omnipotent. Hey, third and fourth graders in Adventure Club, is God omnipotent? Yes. And what does that mean? He is all-powerful. And guess what? Sometimes that's difficult for adults to believe. If you believe, though, that God is omnipotent, that He is sovereign, that He controls every detail of life, then maybe Titus and elders and teachers and dads and moms, anybody who's a leader, maybe you've been raised up for such a time as this. What if the entire organization that you happen to be affiliated with, and I'm not specifying religious or otherwise, what if the entire organization that you work for, you're affiliated with, you go to church with, all the rest of that, comes to a shift in policy that is decidedly unbiblical? But what if, in addition, they require you to do the same? We're going to answer that in this little verse where Paul is instructing Titus. Now, to do that, I want to emphasize something. I want the kids to answer this question. Okay, kids? Does anybody know what this Tuesday is? All right, I, I, heard, I heard some older children's voices say something that many of the younger ones didn't say. What, what, do, what did the majority of the children in this church say Tuesday is? Halloween, okay, October 31st. I didn't hear that answer, figured I would. If I'd asked the adults, that would be what one of you would have said. Halloween. But several of you said rightly, it is Reformation Day. Eliana, that's exactly right. Several of you said that. Now, let's go back. By the way, I thought about that as I was going to ask the question, and I said, guess where the fault of that primarily lies? And with other parents, teachers, that we have not done a a, a good job, an adequate job of teaching our children some very, very important history that has to do with the gospel, these banners that you see all around you. So let's go way back. I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as I can so that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper and in good fashion. 16th century Roman Catholic Church held the political as well as the religious power. And they were doing this. They were teaching that a person could be saved or earn his way to heaven or her way to heaven by doing things. In fact, By doing certain things, that person could earn the way to heaven or salvation for family members. Now, if you didn't really know the Bible and I were to tell you that you could do that, that would register because you would know, I deserve hell, I don't want to go to hell. Or as they were teaching then, there was a holding tank between death and heaven that maybe you could get out of called purgatory. A place of punishment till you kind of burned off your sins and then you went to heaven. So if I were to tell you and you didn't know the Bible, because many of these people did not have the Bible in their language, they depended upon what the leaders told them, and they used that fear to keep them under their thumb and to get their donations... And they had two ways of doing this. Unbelievable. You say, no, no way they could get away with it. Yes, they did. They probably had variations of this, but I'm going to give two. One of the ways they did that was through the veneration. Okay, that's a big word that means kind of like worship or or giving uh, uh, obedience to or but they would venerate relics. Now you know what a relic is, don't you? One of you smart Alex would probably say, "Pastor, you're a relic." Okay, yeah, okay. Something very, very old. But guess what these relics were? Uh, interesting, parents. You may want to do a study of this with your kids, and and you you can, you can put out the things you want to. But a relic simply was an old body part of or or something to do with a former saint, a very holy person. For example, there was the relic of the skull of St. John the Baptist. There were relics of fingers, of different, different, like I said, different body parts. Did you know there was even in one of the saints... They have Now, this is all supposedly, okay, because there are other religions that do this too. If you've been to, to the Topkapi Palace and you've gone through the, a particular area of that, you're going to see a part of the skullcap of St. John the Baptist, supposedly. It's been said that if all of the body parts everywhere were reassembled, it would be probably akin to about 100 people splinters of wood from the cross, a thorn from the crown of Jesus. So these relics, if you went to a particular place where the relics were displayed and gave a donation, guess what? The church said, it will take time out of your stay in purgatory and it will get you into heaven. How, I'll use the word ludicrous, is that? And yet they taught it and people believed it with a hope that they could go to heaven and, by the way, get loved ones out of heaven. But there was one that was even more, what's the word? It was worse. It was more egregious, okay? Big word. It was terrible. And it was the sale of indulgences. You know what an indulgence was? An indulgence was an official piece of paper that you could get from the Pope himself that if you paid money, you could be forgiven of sins past, present, and future. And you could even pay enough... To get your loved ones, again, out of purgatory, into heaven by paying. And you got a little sheet of paper that you could take with you. I, I am amazed at how history repeats itself. One of, the, one of the guys that was one of the worst offenders was a guy by the name of Tetzel. By the way, this was in Germany and all over Europe at this time. Tetzel even created a song that went with his heresy. Imagine that. Nobody does that today, do they? Here is a translation of the song. As soon as the gold in the coffer rings, a coffer is a container, kind of like our offering baskets or uh, booths back there, as soon as, it, as the gold in the coffer rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. No repentance, no faith in Christ, just giving money and looking to either bones or a piece of paper, and untold, probably millions of people, thousands at least, were doomed To hell by these errors. But God had a plan. People say we live in dark days today. That was a dark time in the history of the church. But God had a plan, and everything was going according to plan. He always has a plan. Titus, he has a plan with you. Elders, teachers, he has a plan for us. Dads, grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, he has a plan for us. And so what did he do? He raised up a man. Now, there were other people who joined in. I'm simplifying this. He raised up a very imperfect young man. He was a monk who started reading the Bible, guess what, sola scriptura, and he looked around and he said, "This is not right," and his name was Martin Luther. One of the things that the story is—I don't know that we could go to Snopes and fact-check it, fact, fact-check it—but one of the things that tipped him over was with when one of his members came up to him during the during a festival on the street, and he was drunk. And Martin Luther, he, he, he confronted him, he rebuked him for that, and he said, look, and he pulled out of his pocket his indulgence and said, I've paid for this, and I can do what I want. Now, Baptists don't do that, do we? We don't pull out of our pockets a little piece of paper, but sometimes we will fall back on an erroneous application of once saved, always saved to justify just about any kind of lifestyle we want to. Drinking like this guy was, cussing, just just you, you can number them off. And so Martin Luther saw that. He saw what was going on, and his heart was sick. He knew that the church needed reformation. And so we go back to the words of Paul to Titus. I don't know that he read that. I know that he read Romans 1. But as for you, speak. The church needs reformation. Titus, Martin Luther... Members of this church, so speak. And and so, I I am not banning from the pulpit your celebration of a worldly holiday known as Halloween. I, I I'm just not doing that. But please, parents, remind your children that on Tuesday. Something far more important took place, and we call it Reformation Day because on October 31st, 506 years ago, in 1517, Martin Luther got on his Facebook account. That's what it would be akin to today. And he posted, he posted all his friends. It was an open post. Because he had sat down and started writing, he didn't really post on Facebook. Okay, just so you'll know, they didn't. Some of your kids are going to go, Daddy, I didn't know they had Facebook back then. But he wrote these things, 95 statements called the 95 Theses. This is what it's be- become known. And he took it to the church in. It looks like it's spelled Wittenberg, but it's they pronounced it with a V. They were German. Wittenberg. And he did what they did. If if you want to have a debate, if you want to speak about things and have a dialogue, you nail these to the door. And that small event marked the beginning of something that would change the world. This was in the providence of God. And it did it by recovering the gospel, the Protestant Reformation. Now, why October 31st? Anybody know? Because what was November 1st and still is? All Saints Day. All Saints Day. And in Wittenberg, they happened to have a huge collection of relics. So people on October 31st were preparing themselves to go the next day and to get points to get them into heaven and out of purgatory and their loved ones too. And they were getting ready. And so that's why he chose October the 31st, hallowed evening, it was called, and it became known today as Halloween. So what did he do to start this? Now, and God, you know, God's providence is huge. And sometimes the thing that you will do to speak, speak a word. Titus, as for you, and the word here in the ESV, it says teach. The word is really speak. Speak. There are other words for teach and preach, and certainly those are important. In fact, those were pretty much recovered by the the Reformation. God used that. So what is a young monk, just one guy, against this entire massive religious political force called the Roman Catholic Church and the Holy Catholic Empire. He simply spoke what the Bible said, that you cannot earn salvation by any amount of works. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. The Catholic Church said, well, we believe we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to the Scriptures, for the glory of God. What Martin Luther did was simply add the little word alone. In our Sunday school class, ABF class today, somebody said, yeah, the real problem is Jesus plus. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. It's Jesus plus something. Martin Luther simply said what the scriptures say, it is Jesus plus nothing. Now, you would think that the church, are you following me? You would think that the church would say, oh, brother Martin, thank you for pointing this out to us. Oh, we just had it wrong, thank you. Uh, You would think wrong if you think that. Because several years later, the Pope, this thing caught fire. God used it to bring about this Reformation, the beginning of it, and it caught fire so much so that several years later, the Pope sent a decree, a written decree from the Pope straight to Martin Luther that said, you either recant of what you have said you believe, or we're going to excommunicate you, which meant not only in those days kicking you out of the church, but probably, probably killing you. Now, a lot of people have a lot of views about Martin Luther. Again, he was imperfect, but he did something that you might just think he was being a kind of a braggart. He really didn't mean it to look like that, but he had to do something that was a statement. He had to just speak, and this time here's what he did. He took the papal decree and he told the people where he was, and he went out and he burned it publicly. The Pope didn't like that, so he got together a council. Now, you remember I said the council in Jerusalem. It could also be called a diet. That's a weird word, isn't it? And they met at a particular place spelled in Germany W-O-R-M-S. Now, pronounce that for me. You would think it's worms, but it's in Germany, so it's worms, okay? So instead of a... Now, this is kind of yucky okay? Instead of meeting at the Diet of Worms, it was the council at Worms. Now, you got to get a picture of this. This is no small thing. Here's one guy again, standing against the powers of all of Europe, the emperor of the Roman Empire, all of the councils that were together, the religious councils, and again, they commanded Luther to recant. And he said, I need an evening to pray about that. And so the next day he came, and here's what he said. He spoke. Speak the truth in love. I'm telling you, we are living in a cultural mess today, even in our country, where you might be asked to speak a lie. But I promise you that that lie will lead to another lie, which will lead to another lie. Martin Luther knew this. Now, remember, in those days, there was no ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, We are a part of that organization here in our country that will defend you like they did the baker in Colorado if you simply speak the truth. He didn't have the ADF. He didn't have any safety net. He could have been killed. So he begins humbly and he says simply this, since your serene majesty, Emperor Charles V, and your lordship seek Simple answer, I will give it in this manner, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted in my conscience, is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. So next year, I don't know what kind of sermon I'm going to preach on Reformation Sunday. It'll at least be a reminder. And I repent of not having been clearer in the past. But now you know. And so next year, when you guys come to Halloween, just, just don't. Why, why is there such an obsession in Halloween with dead people and bones and things like that. Hmm, relics? Maybe. Parents, dress your kids up, maybe this year, as Martin Luther. Shave the top of their heads. Little monk outfit. Say, maybe it's a Jedi outfit. No, no, it. yeah. When you come to Reformation Day next year, and when I ask that question of our children and our adults next year, what is this Tuesday? Everyone should answer. It's Reformation Day. It's okay to have fun with the other, but it is the day upon which God chose to use an imperfect man. Hey, we got any perfect people here? No. (laughs) I saw one hand go up. Okay. (laughs) God chooses to use imperfect people. You say, I'm not Martin Luther. I know that. I'm not either. But God will use me if I will but speak the truth. If I will speak the truth to my wife. If I will lead her in the study of Scripture and lead her to pray on a daily basis. If I will speak the truth to my family, to my children. We tried... Not perfectly, but we tried. We had a daily time where we looked at Scripture. We looked at what the Bible said. We had a family time each week. I was just trying to to do something, by the way, as much as anything, so that I would not have a repeat of what I'd grown up in. By God's grace... You who are parents, speak. Just speak. Grandparents, older siblings. Hey, maybe you're the oldest cousin. Okay, kids, in your group of cousins. Do you understand the influence that you can have on those younger cousins? Speak. Don't just give drivel. Somebody asked me, well, how did Arkansas do yesterday? They didn't lose because they didn't play. (laughs) Basketball, however, what a barn burner. But don't talk just about those things. That's fun. Quickly get to speak, and we're going to get into this in the coming weeks, what accords with sound doctrine. And yes, it's in the church, but it begins in the home. Look at what Puritan Richard Baxter said. You are not likely to see any general reformation. This is in your outline, okay? All great quotes, but boy, this this really is a doozy. You are not likely to see any general reformation till you procure family reformation. Some little religion there may be here and there, but while it is confined to single persons... It must be in individuals but not confined there and is not uh, promoted in families. It will not prosper nor promise much future increase. So speak, yes, preach and teach. That's what I'm doing and that's what we do. But this, again, a totally different word, speak. This is what we were told to do. Oh, by the way, uh, the Catholic Church still has the anathema set up. This happened later in the Council of Trent. They still didn't like the Reformers who were protesting, the Protestant Reformers. And they said, look, anybody who believes in justification by faith alone, let him be accursed. They've tried to soften that today, but anathema is a very, very strong word. But let's move on to this. We just quoted Richard Baxter, and then we'll quote the Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words I command you today shall be on your heart get them in your heart first, you shall speak them diligently to your children, shall speak of them when you sit down in your house, and speak of them when you walk by the way. So you're you're sowing the seed out there in traffic patterns of life, and when you lie down and when you rise up, it's a 24-7 kind of thing. Application, will you stand? Will you speak? You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to teach a Sunday school class or an ABF class. Or you don't even have to preach a sermon at home. But speak the truth in love, and speak at your work. There will come a time, I believe, when you'll have to speak the truth in love, and you might have to say something like what the apostles did, whether it's right in the sight of God. You must judge, for we cannot but what speak what we have seen and heard. In other words, what is fitting for sound doctrine. Reformation Day, against the backdrop of the moral rot we see in our world, in our culture, and even some organizations that call themselves churches, we must speak. That which fits sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. And what is that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And all who repent and believe in Him can have eternal life, will have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does the church need reformation today? Amen. So what do you do from this little verse right here? Speak what fits, what accords with sound doctrine. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so. The Scripture commands you to repent and believe. And if you're here without Christ today, young or old, you can know Him. You don't have to look at relics. You don't have to have a piece of paper called an indulgence to get to heaven. By faith in the finished work of Christ, you can know that you will have eternity with Him. And that's what we will celebrate in a few moments with the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray now that as we have sought to not only expose what your Scripture says, but apply it in a very specific way this Reformation Sunday, I pray that you would seal to our hearts those things that we need. Most of us here today, Lord, are, are believers. Some are not. And those people who are not, oh God, you know, they need to repent and believe. And you must draw them. So I I plead not only with them, but I plead with you, Lord, pour out your grace and your mercy undeserved. But would you open their hearts, open their eyes that they would receive and that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we enter into a time of taking the Lord's Supper together, we pray that you would bless this reminder, even if, as you blessed and reminded us of the gospel and the baptism of Decker earlier. Now we look to this beautiful symbol of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.